One of the biggest mistakes we can make, even with the best of intentions, is to trust in our own wisdom rather than in God's power. We seek to carry out Christ's mission in the church without looking to the Word of God and relying on the Spirit of God. In this message from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, David Platt urges us to treat God's Word as if our lives and the lives of others depend on it. Because it does. This message was given at the Cross Conference in 2021. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, The Word of God and the Spirit of God and the Mission of God. Well, if you, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As J.D. mentioned last night, we're walking through this book of the Bible over the course of the next couple of days. And part of the reason for that is to show that mission, as we've already heard some this morning, is not just about a select passage here or there and this or that book, but it's a part of the fabric of the Bible. Uh, We want to connect the gospel and the church and holiness and sexuality and singleness and marriage and all sorts of other themes in 1 Corinthians to the life that counts for the glory of God among all the nations. With that said, uh, Conrad Mbewe was originally supposed to give this talk on 1 Corinthians 2, but he couldn't make it here from Zambia. Omar Johnson, pastor of Temple Hills in Maryland, was plan B, and he got COVID this week. So I got a text yesterday asking if I'd take 1 Corinthians 2, so call me plan C after a late night of meditating on this passage, but I I really wish you could have heard from Conrad or Omar, but I'm trusting the Lord has providentially arranged this. So let's pray. Oh God, we pray for your grace on both Conrad and Omar. We trust that in your good and wise plan and purpose, you've ordained this moment in a way none of us had planned. So we pray that just as the text we're about to read says, you would lead us all in the next few minutes to have greater faith, to rest our faith more firmly in your word and your spirit. And in your good and sometimes surprising plans for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I read the text, I want to tell you a story that will challenge your faith. And you're not going to believe it's true. But every single detail of the story I'm about to tell you is true. When I was in the eighth grade, I loved playing basketball. And eighth grade was the first year in my school you could try out for the school basketball team. And everybody who was, on, was cool was on the eighth grade basketball team. So I was like, oh, I want to be cool. Only problem was I was a four foot nothing runt. It's the smallest kid in the eighth grade, which is not good when you have aspirations of a basketball career because every time you throw the ball up, it gets put back in your face. And so I was trying to think for months leading up to tryouts, how can I impress the coach? And just a couple weeks before tryouts, again, you're not going to believe this is true, 
but everything I'm about to tell you is true. I'm sitting there in my room. I was reading my Bible, and I came across a verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, that says, for nothing is impossible with God. And right then, it was like the words of Scripture leapt off the page and into my heart, and I knew exactly how I could make the eighth grade basketball team. Like, if nothing is impossible with God, then that means that with God's power and with God's strength, I could dunk the basketball. <laughs> and if I could dunk the basketball as a four-foot-nothing eighth grader, he'll definitely put me on the team. So I left my Bible sitting in my room, and I went outside where we had a, a basketball goal in my driveway. I grabbed a ball, and I went to the back of the driveway, and I got down on my knees, and I said, God, I believe with your power and your strength, I can dunk this basketball. And I wanted everything to be perfect. And so I planned out how many steps it was gonna take for me to get from the back of my driveway up to the goal. So I planned out exactly how many steps. And then my plan was, when I was two feet away, I was gonna close my eyes. All right, follow with me. I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna take the last two steps with my eyes closed and I'm gonna jump with my eyes closed. That way I can picture like angels lifting me up to the goal. The next thing I'm planning to feel is the rim. I will throw the ball through the rim, and then my plan is to hang up there for a little while, because I've never been there before. So, <laughs> so that was the plan. I go back to the back of the driveway one more time. Normal day for other people. They're driving by, walking by. I'm having like revival in the driveway. I'm on my face, like, God, I believe with your power, I can dunk this ball. Nothing is impossible with you. I believe it. So let me ask you a question. I want you to be totally honest. How many of you believe that on this day, 10-foot basketball goal, how many of you believe I dunked the basketball? Just raise your hand. Like one, and a couple of you are like feeling sorry. Like, ah. Okay. How many of you say no chance? All right. Let's see how it is. Every single detail of this story is true. I get up off my feet, off my knees, onto my feet, and I start running toward the goal. Had every step planned out. I get two feet away and I close my eyes. I take the last two steps, my eyes closed, and I jump. And I could feel something on my right and my left. And the very next thing I felt was that basketball pole right in my forehead. <laughs> I want you to imagine walking by my house on that day. <laughs> you see a little kid get up off his knees, supposedly in prayer, and go running and jump into a pole. Like just, just full speed, jump into a pole. <laughs> So when I look back at my eighth grade self, I think on one hand, I needed to understand a lot more about the Bible. So if you look at Luke chapter one, that's a passage about the virgin birth of Jesus, not about impressing a basketball coach. So apparently you can't just take any verse and make it what you want it to mean. But on the other hand, I look back at my eighth grade self and I, I want that kind of faith in my life today. A kind of faith that 
reads God's word and actually believes it and banks my life on it, regardless of how crazy that might seem in the world, that's my prayer for you in the next few minutes, based on the text we're about to read, that you would love this word, that you would treasure it, that you would meditate on it and memorize it and pray it and believe it and obey it and spread it right where you live and wherever God may lead you among the nations. No matter how crazy that might cause you to look in this world. And you might do all of that not in your might, but in the supernatural might of God's Spirit dwelling in you. So I'm just going to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 2, and then I want to encourage you, challenge you in three specific ways based on it. And we're going to fly here. I got to work on this last night. There was so much flown in my mind and heart, and I've got about 25 minutes left to give it to you. So if you're taking notes, be ready to write. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, I love this. This is a, it's like a summary of Paul's work, not just in Corinth, but in his life. You'd go into a place proclaiming the word of God, Jesus Christ and him crucified at the center of that word. And follow this, he felt weak and afraid as he did this, to the point where he was trembling. And we have this picture of Paul as the greatest missionary who ever lived. And I would argue he was, but it wasn't because of some natural gifting in him. Listen to how people described him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So we may have some picture from reading Paul in the New Testament, thinking he's some stout dude, but that's not what people who saw him thought. They thought dude is weak and dude can't preach. J.D. mentioned it last night, just ask Eutychus. Poor guy, so bored in one of Paul's sermons that he fell asleep and died. First guy to ever be known to fall asleep in the church. Many successors since then. <laughs> but forever remembered as the first. I mean, we're gonna see Eutychus in heaven. And as soon as we meet him, we're going to be like, you. Yeah. And he's like, yep. <laughs> All of history knows me as that guy. And if you remember that story in Acts chapter 20, Paul, after he falls asleep, after Eutychus falls asleep, dies, Paul raises him from the dead. And then my favorite part, what does Paul do after that? He keeps preaching. <laughs> you'd think you'd get the hint when somebody falls asleep and dies in your sermon, it's time to call it a night. But no, not Paul. Why? Because he loves this word and he loves proclaiming it, speaking it, spreading it with supernatural power. So this is the encouragement, the challenge I want to give you today from this text. It's threefold. One, I want to challenge you 
to devour this word like your life depends on it because it does. Devour this word, this book, like your life depends on it because it does. First one and First Corinthians two, this word is the testimony of God. Just think about that phrase, what, what that means. When Paul calls God's word God's testimony, he's saying that this is a testimony about God. You look back in chapter one, verse six, and Paul refers to the testimony about Christ. So on one hand, this is a testimony, a word that tells us about God, about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done for us. But it's more than just a testimony about God. It's a testimony from God. You go a little farther down here in chapter two, get to verse seven, and Paul says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God, listen to this language, decreed before the ages for our glory. So Paul didn't just come with a testimony about God. All kinds of people have testimony about God. This is more, this is testimony directly from God. This is a word that God himself decreed that Paul was now proclaiming. This is quite literally the word of God. Our creator has spoken. This is his word and as such, our lives depend on it. Your life depends on it. But as soon as I say that, I do not assume that everybody in this room believes that. In fact, I assume that some, maybe many of you are skeptical of that. I've seen the data. Barna did a comprehensive six-year study with the American Bible study to gauge Americans' views of the Bible. I'll put it up here on the screen. They asked, how many of you would say that you believe the Bible is sufficient for meaningful living? How many of you would say that? And among what they called elders, so they classified as people born uh, prior to 1946, they found that 65% said, yes, we believe the Bible is sufficient for meaningful living. Then they surveyed what they called boomers. Next generation, 56% of them said they believed this. So still a majority. But then among those they classified as Gen Xers, only 40% said they believed this. And then among millennials, so this was the youngest group they surveyed, what they classified as those born between 1984 and 2002, so 19 to 37 years old, most of the people in this gathering. You know how many of them said they believe the Bible is sufficient for meaningful living? 27%. Like, does that trend line tell you anything? To be clear, we haven't gotten to anybody 18 years old or younger. And this makes me wonder how many high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school kids in our country today will believe the Bible is sufficient for their lives. And I wish I had hours to dive into an explanation of why you can believe that this book is the word of God. If that's even a question in your mind, I would encourage you to do what I did when I asked that question in college and spend those hours. Don't discount 
this book that contains internal consistency, manuscript reliability, historical accuracy, fulfilled prophecy, eyewitness testimony, and timeless authority like no other religious writing or any book in the history of the world. There is nothing like it. This book contains the Word of God. And your life depends on devouring it. Blessed, happy, we're talking about happy last night, forever happy is the man, the woman, the student who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he, she meditates day and night. That's what I mean by devouring it. This book is life. So let me, let me give you an acrostic actually two acrostics that we use in our church to encourage each other to live happy, blessed, abundant lives. I'll put this on the screen. The first one is MAPS, M-A-P-S. So picture a map for a journey into true happiness, which I trust we all want. Starts with M, meditate and memorize. Do not just read the Bible in your life. Meditate on it, soak it in. Think about what you're reading. Ask questions. Why is this there? Why is that there? What's going on here? What does all of this mean? I think about, you think meditate. My, my wife is the only girl I ever dated. I remember when she first started writing me letters and I would not just read them. I would soak them in. Dear David, dear. I wonder if she says that to everybody. It's usually, hey, and I'm dear. And she'd finish a sentence and she'd put a smiley face. Be like, why there? Why right after that? Why is she smiling at that particular point? And she'd be like, I'm praying for you. Be like, how? Like, like she prays for everybody or like when she prays for a future husband? It's like, how's she praying for me? Love. Like love in Christ. Like we all love each other or like love. Like I was obsessed. Be obsessed with these words. Meditate on them. Memorize them. Hide them deep in your heart. I praise God for a man who told me as a student, David, if you really want to experience God and if you want to be used mightily by God, hide this word in your heart. Memorize verses and paragraphs and chapters and books of the Bible. Men, women across this room, memorize this word. It is life. It's life. You experience God, be used of God. Not based on your words and your thoughts, based on his word in your life. Meditate and memorize. Then A, A, don't just hear the word, do it. Apply. Meditate and memorize, then apply. Put it into practice. Let this word change. Intentionally think about how it changes the way we think and desire and speak and act and live and love. Then P, pray. So pray this word. Just pray according to whatever you see in the word. And we'll keep that up on the screen because there's the other acrostics. We'll pause for a minute on maps. And how does God word, God's word lead you to pray? P-R-A-Y, praise. So how does what you read in God's word lead you to praise God for who he is? Thank God for what he's done. Just read a passage, be like, how does this lead me to praise God and do it? Then R, repent. How does God's word lead you to turn away from sin in your own heart and your mind and your life to confess sin, run from it? Then A, ask. What does God's word lead you to ask for in your life? Read a passage. What, do I, what should I ask for based on this? 
for my own life, for others' lives, for the world around me? And then, why? Yield. God, I yield my life according to your word. Help me to do what it says. So pray according to the word. This is John 15, 7. Jesus promised, you let my word abide in you. You pray according to my word. I'll give you whatever you ask. So pray God's word. Started a whole podcast, if it's helpful for you, in this called Pray the Word. Just three to five minutes a day, praying through a verse of scripture to help see like the beauty of what we have in front of us, life that leads us to pray. Now back to maps. Last one, meditate, memorize, apply, pray, and S, share. Share. I don't let this word stop with you. Let it spread through you. This is Jesus' command to us in the Great Commission. Teach others to obey everything I have commanded you. Pass it on. I, I remember I finished a sermon one day, and I said, so we're going to stop with you or it's going to spread through you. And I thought it was a good line, but the next week, this guy comes up to me, probably 19 years old. He comes up to me, and he, he's like, Pastor, that, that line like really hit me. And he starts rolling up his sleeve. Dude had gotten it tattooed on his shoulder. Will the word stop with me or spread through me? That'll make you think twice about a line you use in a sermon. Like, can I picture this on somebody's skin? So I'm, I'm not advocating imprinting this on your skin, but yes, on your heart. This word is too good to keep to yourself, which leads to second part of this challenge. So devour this word, this testimony about God, from God, of God, like your life depends on it because it does forever. And then two, spread this word like others' lives depend on it because they do. Paul says, I came to you, not just knowing this testimony about God, but proclaiming it, spreading it, spread this word like others' lives depend on it because they do. This is Paul saying, I came to you with a message to speak, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because your life depends on it. Your life depends on, hinges on a faith in this word, not in the thoughts of man, but in the word of God and the power of God, which we'll talk about more in just a minute. But the whole point here, Paul's saying, not on hearing my words, but on hearing this word, which makes sense if life is found in this word. And you and I have it then others' lives depend on hearing it from us. Your parents' lives depend on hearing this word from you. Your siblings' lives depend on hearing this word from you. Your friends' lives depend on hearing this word from you. The lives of every single person on your campus depend on hearing this word from somebody on that campus. They need to hear the word of God proclaimed, spoken, shared, spread from you and me, and not just right around us. And that's the whole picture around which this conference revolves. There's 3.2 billion people who don't have this word. And they can't have life if somebody doesn't proclaim it to them. It's Paul's whole argument in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved, but they can't call on his name if they don't believe, and they can't believe if they don't hear. And 
They won't hear unless somebody goes and does what? Proclaims it to them. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of Christ. Like we have a word that has power to bring life to people right around us today that we meet on the streets in Louisville. And the people you text with or correspond with over Instagram or social media in this or that way. You have word, a word that has power to bring them life. It has the power to bring life to people and people groups among all the nations. I think about one missionary friend sharing the gospel one day on the streets of South America and, and he had a New Testament with him in his hand. And the guy he's sharing the gospel with was looking at the New Testament the whole time and you could tell he really wasn't paying attention. And finally, the guy he's talking to remarked that this New Testament had nice thin paper that would be really good for rolling cigarettes and smoking them. So missionary said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this New Testament with all its nice paper if you promise that before you tear out a page to roll it into a cigarette, you'll read what's on that page. And the guy was like, you'll give me that whole book? All that paper? He said, yes if you promise to read every page before you've rolled into a cigarette. The guy said, all right, I'll do that. So he gives him the book. A few weeks later, he's back on the same street, runs into the same guy and says, well, did you keep your promise? And this is the guy's response. He said, well, I read and smoked my way through Matthew. <laughs> then I smoked my way through Mark and Luke. I smoked all the way to John 3 and I read this verse, verse 16, and everything made sense. I realized that God loves me so much that Jesus died for my sins. Now I've asked him to forgive me and become Lord of my life. So I'm not necessarily recommending that particular method of evangelism, (laughs) but I am saying this word has power to bring life. This word does the work. The question is, do we believe that? Because if we do, then we'll speak it, right? But I guess that's, that's the challenge. It's when it comes to speaking it, who in this room doesn't feel afraid or awkward or timid or trembling? In other words, who doesn't feel exactly what Paul expressed here? Like, do you hear this? This is Paul saying, and you look back. This is not just him just saying this. You look back in Acts chapter 18, when Paul is in Corinth, Jesus comes to him and says, do not be afraid, which implies what? He was at the very least tempted to be afraid, if not afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. He was afraid to keep on speaking. He says, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. So Paul struggled with this. I mean, you you heard John Piper last night say he doesn't feel gifted as an evangelist. And it would take a bit of time to unpack all that he was saying there, particularly when thinking about his dad and spiritual gifts. But some of you were thinking, well, if John Piper isn't gifted in leading people to Jesus, what hope is there for me? 
And I just want you to stop right there based on the authority of God's word. And I want to challenge you. Number three, so devour this word like your life depends on it. Spread this word like others' lives depend on it. And in it all, trust God's spirit like his power is inside you because it is. Trust God's spirit like his power is inside of you because his power is inside of you. Paul says, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling, not with wise human words, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Do you see this? The whole point was that Paul's life would be a picture of God's power at work. In his weakness and his fear and his trembling and his struggling, God would show the power of his spirit. Why? So that people wouldn't trust in Paul. But they would rest their faith in the power of God. And I want to remind you, Christian, every true follower of Jesus in this room right now, watching online, the same Holy Spirit who was dwelling in Paul is the exact same Holy Spirit who is dwelling in you right now. Like I'm out of time. We'll just put this on the screen. We don't have time to turn here, but do you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven, sent down his spirit at Pentecost? Even if you remember the scene, just picture it. Like this is the first time you've ever imagined this scene. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. So let's picture this like it's happening in this room. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So just picture like this room being filled with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. So not necessarily, it's not like wind blowing through our hair, but it's like the sound. Like picture a tornado, hurricane-like sound right now in this room all of a sudden. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And just picture that. Like fire tongues. I don't, what do you picture? Like look at the person next to you and picture a fire tongue on top of them. Just look at them. Be like, what do you do? Uh, <laughs> what? Like all of a sudden, we got this sound, we got fire tongues on everybody's head. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you keep going, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At the sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocking said they're filled with new wine. Like Peter's first line in the first Christian sermon had to be, these guys are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Not that they would be drunk later, but 
the whole picture here? Can you imagine this scene? The Holy Spirit resting on all these people and they're speaking God's word with this supernatural power. Like, look at that scene and then step back into this room and realize every Christian, right where you are sitting right now, the same Holy Spirit who did that in Acts chapter two is dwelling inside of you right where you're sitting right now. The same Holy Spirit. So do not underestimate for a second how God wants to use your weakness and fear and awkwardness and trembling to lead other people to life and the power of his spirit in you. That's the whole reason he's put his spirit in you according to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Yes, many functions of the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you and you will be my what? witnesses, you'll speak, you'll proclaim, you'll spread this word to the ends of the earth. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the creator, the sovereign ruler of all dwells in you and me for the spread of this word. Like you're sitting in your dorm room, that fraternity sorority house, back home, Wherever you are, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. You're on the front lines of unreached people who've never heard his name. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Like what, what do we have to offer to the nations in and of ourselves? Nothing. But we have the word of God that is life. We have the Spirit of God who is life. So devour this word like your life depends on it because it does. Spread this word like others' lives depend on it because they do. And trust the power of God's Spirit dwells in you because he does. His power does. Let me close with this picture. Radical is doing work among... We, we call it urgent need, like where the most urgent spiritual and most urgent physical needs collide, where there's least access to the gospel and most suffering. It's where we want to be focused on it. I think about our radical brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Like, picture this scene. Every night in this village, they, they gather together, a small group of them, and one of them goes on a hike out into the mountains to where there's a cave and goes into that cave, uncovers some rocks, and pulls out a Bible and brings it back under cover of darkness into the village, and they huddle around together, and one of them reads the word and they just listen and they soak it in knowing that if they were caught they'd immediately lose their lives. But they're devouring this word like their life depends on it because they know it does. And then before it gets light the next morning one of those brothers or sisters takes that book and goes back out into the mountains 
finds that cave, tucks it away under some rocks until the next time they're able to gather together. Meanwhile, day in and day out, they are praying continually. God, how can we spread this in the village where we live, villages beyond this? How can we spread this good news? They are spreading it like their families and their friends and their tribes and their cans depend on it because they do. And the beauty is they're not doing it alone. They're doing all of this with the power of God dwelling inside of them. And I just want to say to a room full of students who have this word in our hands, we don't have to go hide it, get it under, get it out from under some rocks. We have this word. Devour it. Like your life depends on it. Spread it like others' lives depend on it. And let's join with our brothers and sisters in the world and trust the Spirit of God is in us for the spread of this word among all the nations. Will you pray with me? God, we praise you for this gift that we have in our hands, your word to us. And I just, I just pray over every single person in this gathering, and particularly over every student, that you would raise up men and women who are mighty in your word, who love it and meditate on it, memorize it and apply it and pray it, share it. We pray that you give us confidence in your spirit in us to speak it. We pray that the fruit of our lives would be more and more and more people resting their faith on your power because of the proclamation of your word in and through us. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gender, sexuality, artificial intelligence, race, justice, genomics, the metaverse. Life seems so very complicated these days, fragmented even, and everyone has an opinion about everything. But what does the Bible say about all these issues? About you, about me, about the 7 billion people that fill every street, town, campus, village, apartment, and neighborhood on earth. Join us for this year's Secret Church. It's a unique one-night event streamed online to more than 50,000 participants around the world. Encouraged by our persecuted brothers and sisters' example, we meet for close to six hours for intense study of God's Word and passionate prayer for the persecuted, taught and led by David Platt. Join us on Friday, April 29th at 7 p.m. Participating in Secret Church Livestream is easy. You can stream from your church, home, office, or anywhere you have an internet connection. For more information or to sign up, visit Radical.net. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram 